0: Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Scripture reading this morning is going to be John chapter 11, verses 1 through 46. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you will find John chapter 11 beginning on page 897. Now I know... The bulletin says that I'm going to be preaching on Psalm 12 this morning, and so if you want to hear that sermon, you'll have to come back next Sunday. This morning, I'm going to go instead to John 11, and the story of Lazarus, Lazarus' illness, Lazarus' death, and Lazarus' resurrection those of you who don't know, you've already heard Jim mention it in the prayer, but my stepmother-in-law died early Saturday morning. She had had a a health condition for for years, pulmonary fibrosis, but it was managed. She wasn't fully healthy by any means, but, but she was okay. She was living life. She went on vacation with us this summer. And then last week, she got pneumonia. And for someone with her lung condition, that is terribly serious. On Monday, she went to the hospital. On Wednesday, they put her on a ventilator to to help her breathe and to help, hopefully, her body begin to, to heal. But by Friday, it was clear that she would not be coming home from the hospital. And early Saturday morning, she died. In light of her death, I want to take us this morning to a passage that has been uh, bouncing around in my mind a lot this week. And I want to do this publicly here in the pulpit because I know that, that I am not the only one, that my family are not the only ones who, who are hurting We're not the only ones who are groaning. Many of you are groaning with us. You are sharing our pain, and we thank you for the expressions of of kindness and love that you have already shown us. But I also know that many of you are dealing with your own tragedies, your own trials, your own pains. I don't know all the details. I know some of them, but I know enough to know that, that we are all living in a broken world. We are all living in a world marred by sin. And so this morning I want to share with you some of my thoughts as I have processed this loss, and as I have attempted to help my family process this loss. You need to know I don't have anything like a prepared sermon, so this might get a little rambling, and you'll just have to be patient with me. But, but I, hope, I hope that these meditations... The, will be both to God's glory and your good. I hope that this will be beneficial to you, and I think that it will, because I know that God's Word is given to us, that we might live as people of hope. So let us pray this morning and ask that God would be with us as we meditate upon this portion of His Word here this morning. Pray with me. Father God, we come to You this morning asking for Your grace, as we always do, Father, recognizing that Your Word is living and active, that by it we have life, that by it we have hope. And so we ask, Father, that Your Holy Spirit would indeed open our eyes this morning and open our ears and open our hearts, that we might hear and receive this portion of your word, that we might receive the, the encouragement that you have for us this morning, that it might put down deep roots, that it might begin its work of transformation, that we might be renewed and that we might be set free to live as people of hope, even in the midst of grief. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. John 11, beginning at verse 1. Read with me. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, "'Let us go to Judea again.' The disciples said to him, "'Rabbi, the the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, "'and you are going there again?' Jesus answered, "'Are there not twelve hours in the day? "'If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, "'because he sees the light of this world.' But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, "Take away the stone." The sister of, to Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, "Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days." Jesus said to her, "Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God?" So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eye and said. Unbind him, and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. That is, the reading of God's Word. The first sermon that I ever preached at Trinity was also an unplanned sermon. I had planned to start a series on Ephesians after I moved here in the month of of August. a, A series on Ephesians and on the church and what a church is meant to be. But after moving here, before I had preached even my first sermon, we found out that Sarah's mother had cancer. We knew that she had been ill, but we weren't sure of of the reasons. And in that month after we moved here, we found out that it was cancer. And in the years following, she, she fought that disease. She dealt with the treatments and the side effects of those treatments. But nearly five years after being diagnosed, it took her life. And she died. About a year later... Sarah's dad remarried to a woman named Frances, a, a woman that Sarah had known for, for years and that my children came to love. They they called her Ram. And she was a true grandmother to them. They they loved her, and she loved to spoil them, the way grandmothers do. As I said, she died early Saturday morning. And it hurts. I hurt for for Tom. I cannot imagine losing a wife. I certainly cannot imagine losing my wife twice. I hurt for Sarah and for her sisters, as they grieve with their dad. And I hurt for my kids. And I know that many of you are experiencing the same hurt. (laughs) You've been there. You know what it is to groan. You know what it is to look in the eyes of the brokenness of this world. You know what it is to to move beyond the platitudes and the cliches. You, You know what it is to feel the pain and to feel it deeply. So I want to invite you this morning to take that pain and to bring it to Jesus. To bring it to Jesus, especially as we see Him revealed to us here in this text. We can't avoid the pain, but we can do something with it. And He is the one who can dry our tears. So let us go to Him this morning. I just want to make several observations as we walk through this test. And just ask, what is it that we see about Jesus. What is it that we learn from this story? And the first thing I want you to see is, is the obvious fact that Lazarus was sick. We're, we're told that a certain man was was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. And obviously, this wasn't just a common cold, he was sick unto death. Within a few days after Jesus finds out about his illness, he has died. If you are at all familiar with the Gospels, you know that this is a recurring theme throughout Jesus' ministry. He is constantly running into people who are sick, people who are lame, people whose whose health has been ravaged by this disease or by that ailment. And as we read through the Gospels, we have to wonder why. Why is this the constant refrain? Why is this always the plot of the story? Why is Jesus always running into people who are ill? The obvious answer is because we're all ill. We are all in some stage of dying. You were born under a death sentence, you've been moving to that end since the the day you were conceived. But why? Why is this the reality of the world that we live in? There are many today who, who, when they come face to face with this reality, you know, there are times when we can sort of put it out of our minds. There are times when we can pretend it's not there. But when we come face to face with it, we are forced to ask why. And there are many who want to blame God. There are many who, who want to say, how could God let this be? And I understand. I understand that question. I, under, I understand being, being motivated to, to, to throw up your hands in God's face and say, how could you let this be? But remember what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5. Sin and death came into the world through Adam, our father. The world that God created was not ravaged by sin. Rather, it was a world that was good, it was a world that was even very good. But it was our rebellion against God, it was our refusal to honor Him as God, it was it was our refusal to, to obey His word that introduced sin and death into the world, that brought down God's curse upon creation. And so when we wonder why, why is Lazarus sick, we have to say he is sick. Because of sin. All sickness is because of, of sin. That's not to say that every, every illness is a, is a direct punishment for some particular sin that you have committed, but it is to say that this world is broken because of our rebellion against God. And we have to start there. What we see when we look into the eyes of death, what we see when we look into the ravages of disease, is the consequence of rebellion against God. It is the consequence of refusing to honor Him. It is the consequence of of shaking our fist in the face of the Lord of life and saying, we will not be ruled by you. He alone has life in Himself. And when we reject Him, we bring death upon our heads. In fact, the fact that, that we are ill instead of gone... The fact that we deal with with illness on a regular basis is actually a testimony to his grace. It is is God making room for the gospel. It is God saying, I will not put an end to this today, but I will create space to unfold a plan of redemption that is beyond comprehension. And so while Lazarus' sickness is a testimony to, to sin, it is also a testimony to grace. And as we're going to see, that that sickness is not only a testimony that death has been delayed, but it's also a testimony that that warning signs have been posted. Sin leads to death. Sin leads to, to sickness. But of course, that's not the full story. Let's keep moving through the text. The next thing I want you to see is, is simply this that, that Jesus loved Lazarus and his family. We, we see it there in, in verse 5. He says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved this family deeply. And everyone knew it. Notice verse 3. When, when the, the story of, Jesus, of Lazarus' sickness is reported to Jesus, notice how it is said. He says, The one whom you love is ill. Everyone knew that Jesus loved this family. And therefore, when the family comes to Jesus and calls on Him for help, what do we expect to happen? Here is someone who is sick. Here is someone who is is on their deathbed. Here is someone who Jesus loves deeply. And they are calling on Jesus for for help. We expect Him to go. We expect Him to go do His thing. We've seen this before. We've seen Him heal. We've seen Him speak the Word. We've, We've seen Him restore life. If Jesus loves this family deeply, won't He act? That's the question we ask, don't we? If God loves us... Wouldn't He do something? Don't we expect Him to act according to our script? You see, we, we have a script. We have a narrative. We, we have an expression of love that we expect. And we expect God to answer to our plans. We expect God to, to do what we think love ought to look like. Well, Jesus loved this family, but He doesn't do what we expect. In fact, he does just the opposite, and he does it because he loves them. Notice that. That's the third thing I want you to see. Because Jesus loved Lazarus and his family, he didn't go. You see that? Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so, therefore, for this reason... Translate it any way you want. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Because Jesus loved Lazarus. Because he loved his sisters. He didn't go. That's hard for us to understand. That's hard for us to to process, it was hard for them to process. It was, it was hard for for Martha to understand. Notice what she says, Lord, if you had been here, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You could have done something about this. You can hear her her pleading. Mary says the same thing when she finally comes out to meet Jesus. She says, Lord, if you had been here. And even the crowd says it. This man who healed, the blind man. Couldn't he have done something for his friend? Couldn't he have prevented this? How would he make sense of this? Because he loved them, he didn't go. Jesus gives us two clues. Two reasons why he he didn't come when he was called. Verse 4, he tells us that Lazarus' sickness is that his glory might be seen. What is Jesus doing? He's working to display his glory. Now to some, that sounds bizarre. That that sounds incredibly vain. How how could Jesus be concerned about his glory when his friend is sick? Isn't this the time to to serve? This isn't the time to make it about you, Jesus. This is the time to, to, to come to the help of your friend. This is the time to do what you can do for for them. How are you concerned about your glory in the midst of all this? John Piper, I think, is very helpful here because he reminds us that Jesus' concern for His glory is actually the ultimate expression of His love for sinners. Because what does Jesus know Jesus knows that what we need more than anything else is to see His glory, is to see who He is, to behold the Son and to come to love Him, to come to honor Him, to come to believe in Him and thereby have life. And in fact, that's the second clue that Jesus gives us in in verse 15. He says that, that all this is taking place that you might see and believe. What is Jesus up to? Jesus is up to putting His glory on display that we might see it and believe. And I think there's help for us in this. As we face the ravages of sin in our own lives, as we, as we deal with death in our own lives, as hard as it is for us to process, what we need to see is that God allows sin, and death to ravage us in this world because He loves us. We want to turn it the other way around. We want to say, if He loved us, He wouldn't allow this. But that is the lie of Satan. You see, what Scripture tells us is that He allows these things because He loves us. He allows these things so that we might see His glory and believe in Him. That requires some explanation, but before before I get there, I want you to see one more more thing. I want you to think that even though God is going to use these things for good, and as I said, we'll we'll come back to that, but even though God is going to use these things for good, it doesn't mean they are good. (laughs) And we need to see that. You probably memorized John 11.35 at some point when you were a kid. It is famously the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. It's short, but it is profound. Standing at the tomb of his friend, surrounded by family and friends who are, who are grieving, even knowing what he is about to do, Jesus Weeps. You see it? Hope does not eliminate grief. Hope does, does not drive out tears. Death is evil. Death is an enemy, a, a terrible enemy. And it is right to hate it, it is right to grieve, it is right to weep. We do not deny the the hope of the resurrection when we weep at the graveside. Jesus wept. He wept for his friend. He, He wept for those who were grieving. He knew that this was wrong, he knew that this was evil. In the midst of his weeping, he knew hope. And he wants us to know it this morning. Look again what he says to Martha in verse 25. Verse 25, he, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, Shall never die. Do you believe this? It's really the question before us this morning is do we do we believe this? We believe it, but but we struggle to understand. What does it what does it mean? What is Jesus talking about? Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he he live? What is he what is he talking about? Well, Jesus, I think he is he is telling us here that there is something worse than physical death. There is, there is something worse than this body ceasing to, to function. Yes, this, this life is, is fleeting. Yes, this life is fading. Yes, this outer man is, is wasting away. But the end of this life In Christ is not the end. Apart from Him, there would be no hope. Apart from Him, the end of this life would be the end of all there is. It would be a consignment to an eternal separation from God. The the consequences of our sin. A a life of, of, of eternal suffering separated from the good of who God is. That is what we justly deserve because of our sins. But what does Scripture say? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, sometimes when we read the story of of Lazarus, we think, well, of course, you know, that's great for them. God raised Lazarus back to life. He's not doing that for me. He's not doing that for, for the ones I love. What comfort is there here for, for me? But to think that way is to, is to confuse the whole story. You see, what God do, what Jesus does for Lazarus is not the greater but the lesser. Do you see that? What, what Jesus does for Lazarus is the mere shadow pointing to the true salvation. Lazarus is just raised back to this life. Lazarus is just raised back to a perishable life. It is just a, a token pointing to the far greater thing that Jesus will do for all who believe in him. You see, when we are raised, we are not raised back to this life. Our hope is not this life forever. Our hope is eternal life. Our hope is is that this life will be ended and a new life will be begun, a new life where things are once again restored, where all things are made new, where sin and death have not yet touched anything and never will. We have an inheritance, Peter says, that is indestructible, unfading, all-glorious. That is what is in store for us. And and Jesus calling Lazarus from the tomb is but a small picture of what he will do for all those who believe in him. You see, when he does it for Lazarus, it's the lesser, not the greater. It's just a a shadow, just a, a token. And Jesus knows this. It's why He he allows Lazarus to die. It's why He allows us sometimes to suffer. I said Jesus allows us to experience the the ravages of of sin in this world because He loves us. What in the world does that mean? How can that possibly be be loving? Well, when you begin to see, not from the temporal uh, perspective of, of our 70 or 80 years here, but when you begin to see... From the perspective of eternity, it begins to come into focus. You begin to understand that what God is is doing is that He is moving us to faith. He is opening our eyes to glory that we might believe in Him, that we might receive the greater blessing. We see this sort of in microcosm sometimes with with parents, do we not? Parents who who protect their kids from every failure, from every hurt, from every hardship, who always pull them out of the fire before they can get burned. Those are children who are not prepared for life. Those are children who will crash and burn when they finally leave the nest. And yet, while we want our our children to experience some measure of pain, while we want them to experience some measure of, of failure, we do want to protect them from the major pain. We do want to protect them from from the irreversible hurts. So how do you let your child experience something but not all? That's what we seek to do. Let them experience something of the consequences of life in this world, but protect them from the major pain. Do you see that that is what your Heavenly Father is doing? The afflictions that He lets you suffer here and now, the afflictions that grieve us, they are slight and momentary. They don't feel that way. They they, they don't feel momentary. They don't feel slight death feels final. And we wonder. But He lets us hurt. He lets us experience the, the reality of life in sin. Life separated from Him. That we might know our need of Him. That we might be driven to Him. That we might recognize that He is our only hope. And that we might recognize that what He offers is far, far greater. Can't make sense of it all. But we know that He lets us grieve. We know that that He lets us groan. We know that He lets us suffer because He loves us. And because He loves us, what He lets us suffer is slight and momentary. He has something far greater for us. You see, Jesus Christ didn't just resuscitate. He didn't just come back to this life. He rose victorious over sin and death. That which was sown in weakness was raised in power. That which was sown in dishonor was raised in glory. That which was mortal was raised immortal. That which was perishable was raised imperishable. And He rose as the first fruits of our resurrection. Those who believe in Him will be united with Him, not only in His death, but also in His life for all eternity. And therefore, what He lets us suffer in this life is for our good, that we might see that this is life apart from Him. This is brokenness. Flee from it. It's what Psalm 2 says. Psalm 2 says, the Son's wrath is quickly kindled. You cannot possibly escape it. You cannot possibly hide from it. But if you flee to Him, He will rescue you from it. We live in a world under curse. But by God's grace, Jesus took that curse upon Himself that we might be rescued from the curse, and that we who deserve to die, not just in our physical bodies, but for all eternity, we might live, not just in our physical bodies, but for all eternity. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Yes, here and now we groan. Yes, here and now our bodies waste away. But in Christ the sting of death is no more. In Christ, to die is gain. It hurts. We mourn. We grieve. But we grieve as those with hope. Because such living hope is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we do thank you for this gospel. In the midst of our pain, Father, we can sometimes be blinded from what we know. We thank you for the opportunity to be reminded And we pray that you would give us grace to hear and to receive and to believe and to rest in these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.